hello, my name is Gina Hollands and the title of my book is The Little Village of Second Chances. And I was inspired to write this book when a friend of mine, uh, her life completely transformed for the better in a really short space of time. And it made me realise that even when you feel that your life is completely at rock bottom, it can actually turn around very quickly. This Hill Village of Second Chances is a romance. It's set in a village, uh, a made-up village in Yorkshire, where I'm originally from. Um, uh, but the village, uh, Weatherston on Ouse, is uh, actually a lot like the village I currently live in, in West Sussex. So it's a bit of a mixture of the two different counties. As well as the main characters, Sarah and Shay, uh, we meet plenty of sub-characters in the book. There's the rather exuberant uh, pub landlady, Shireen, and the colourful post office mistress, Barb, uh, plus uh, a very amorous older couple, George and Doris. And then, of course, there's the all-important pet characters. There's Bess, the sheepdog, and loyal companion to Sarah, Clive the cat. I use the sub-characters to really lighten the story and bring forward some comedy elements. Um, although this is a feel-good book, there are some tough obstacles for Sarah and Shay to face if they're going to be together. So it's not always plain sailing for them. In fact, uh, both characters arrive with their fair share of trauma in their past, which is really affecting how they see their future panning out. But then they meet and everything changes. So I'm going to read out uh, the first chapter of Little Village of Second Chances and I must apologise in advance to everybody in Ireland for my Irish accent. This is the first time I've regretted making Shay Irish but we'll, we'll see how we go. This is chapter one. Sarah stared down the black barrel of the gun, her feet rooted to the ground. I could slam the door in his face. But what if he pulls the trigger before I get a chance? No, stay put, act calm. Slowly, she raised her hands. What do you want? There's nothing here of any worth. Just take whatever you want, leave me alone. The man frowned. She lifted her gaze from the gun barrel to his face. He was craggy, scruffy even. Yes, definitely in need of a good brush up. I should get a good look at him in case I survive long enough to give the police a description. The thought made her swallow hard and focus. Mid-brown hair, unkempt, brown eyes. Wait, not brown, blue. But so dark you could barely tell. Facial hair. Too much facial hair, come to think of it. Old sweater that had seen better days. Looked like he'd been rolling around in a field. Big, big guy. Head and shoulders above her five-foot-six frame. He was so tall she had to tip her head up and squint against the yellow winter sun to get a good look at him. Upon closer inspection, he wasn't as old as she first thought. A decade older than her 25 years at most. Deep, angry lines slashed across his forehead, giving the impression of a much older man. But the skin on his cheeks was smooth. His face was tanned even though it was January and freezing. Wider lines fanned out like sun rays from the corners of his eyes suggesting at some point he must have laughed. By the mean look on his face, she couldn't imagine it. He sure wasn't laughing now. Take what I want. What are you talking about? He had a distinctive accent. What was it? Scottish? She searched her mind to place it. Irish, that was it. She must remember when given evidence. 
God let me live to give evidence. She should have kept the door on the chain when she heard the knock, rather than throw it open to welcome her new visitor. Hindsight was a wonderful thing. Tentatively, she lowered her arms, clutched the edge of the door and took a step backwards. Well, if you're not here to steal from me, what do you want? No sooner had she uttered the words and the answer hit her with a sickening thump. He's going to attack me. With a sudden shove, she swung the door with enough force to slam it shut. To her horror, the bottom of the door rebounded off something on the floor and sprang back. She put her hands out just in time to stop the heavy wood hitting her in the face and looked down to see one of his huge, filthy boots over the threshold. That was it. She was done for. She screamed. Calm down, will you? His voice was low and gruff. He stretched out an arm towards her. She flapped her arms in front of her to bat him away. No, get off me, leave me alone. Blood rushed through her head as newspaper headlines of a woman killed at her own door flashed past her eyes. Don't shoot. Shoot. He raised his eyebrows and took a step backwards. With his foot now out of the way of the door, she might just manage to close it. She lunged forward. It's not a gun. It's a speed detector, he said with a voice far too calm to come from a firearm-wielding perpetrator. She paused, her hands poised over the door handle. What? He turned the black device around in his hand and jabbed his finger at the digital display. Thirty-five miles per hour. The limit in this village is thirty. You were speeding, breaking the law. She stared at him and blinked several times. Her heart was still beating like a jackhammer on overdrive. I'm sorry, is this some kind of joke? He snarled and narrowed his eyes. There is nothing funny about endangering lives. She thrust her hands onto her hips. And there's nothing funny about scaring people half to death. I thought you were going to kill me. He lowered the gun to belt leaven and held it loosely in both hands. Even in his thick woolen sweater, she could see the outline of large muscular arms. They weren't the kind of pumped-up muscles achieved from going to the gym, but rather from hard physical labour. How do you propose I could kill someone with a velocity radar 360? he said. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath in before releasing the air slowly to try to calm herself. She couldn't quite believe what she was hearing. Hang on, let me get this right. She pressed her finger to her temples and released a humorless laugh. I move in here less than 30 minutes ago. My first visitor is a man pointing a gun at me, accusing me of speeding. You were speeding. What on earth has my driving got to do with you exactly? A shadow passed over his face. I'm trained to make this village a safer place to love. She gritted her teeth. I was only going 35, for goodness sake. It's not exactly Lewis Hamilton's speed, is it? His eyes darkened. Yeah, well... It might not seem like a big deal to you, but maybe if you'd seen what I've seen, you'd realise that five miles per hour can make all the difference. He tensed his jaw and appeared to look right through her. The intensity of his expression shocked her, and as his words sank in, she held back from accusing him a second time of meddling. What is he, a paramedic? If that were the case, perhaps she'd been a bit harsh. He must have seen more than his fair share of accidents. No wonder he was sensitive about speeding. A paramedic, though, really? Didn't you need a good bedside manner for that? She couldn't picture him sharing a sympathetic word with anyone. And she ran her gaze down his book. You certainly didn't get a muscular body like that from driving an ambulance. His physique more resembled that of a builder who'd been wrestling a wheelbarrow through mud all morning. Okay, look, I'm sorry I was speeding. I really am. 
I'm normally very careful on the roads. I just... She shut her mouth quickly. What was she about to tell him? She had a lot on her mind? That was an understatement. And like this do-good a stranger would care what was going on in her life anyway. She gave up trying to finish her sentence and sighed. This wasn't how she imagined her first day in the picturesque village of Weatherstone-on-Ouse would be. A friendly elderly neighbour knocking on her door with a freshly baked cake as a welcome, perhaps, but not some oversized oaf criticising her driving. Even though it was less than ten miles from her home city of York, Weatherstone, with its country lanes, chocolate box cottages and medieval pub, felt like the back of beyond. Thank goodness she'd needed to get away. She couldn't have carried on where she was for much longer, not after everything that had happened. Fine. His gruff voice made her realise he was still on her doorstep. Just make sure you're more careful next time. Honestly, the cheek of it. She'd already apologised and now he thought he had the right to back orders at her while standing on her property. Haven't you seen the signs all around the village, she said. They're building a new bypass around here and not before time if it means that people like you will stop terrorising single women by hiding in bushes and pointing your... She gestured at his gun. Radar 63 or whatever you call it at them. He wiped the back of his arm roughly across his face. What this village needs isn't a new road where drivers can go even faster. It's a better awareness of what's safe. Not that the bypass proposal is even worth discussing. There's no way the people around here are going to stand back and let their homes and businesses be flattened so that some big conglomerate can shove three miles of tarmac in and make a few million quid in the process just because they're planning on building new homes on the outskirts. She shifted her gaze, hoping her eyes gave nothing away. Listen, Mr... She let her voice trail off, inviting him to fill the gap. Without offering his name, he raised an eyebrow and continued to look at her. Well, whatever. This is my first day in my new home. I wasn't expecting a welcome committee, but nor was I expecting... She held out her hand at him. This! He thrust a pointed finger at her. If you don't start watching your speed and treating this village with the respect it deserves, then I won't be the only one making you feel unwelcome. Her heart began to pound again, this time from anger. If you've got nothing pleasant to say, then you can take your speed gun and get off my property. He muttered something she couldn't make out and started to walk away. His heavy boots crunched on the gravel drive. Slow down, Miss Pickering, before you or someone else gets hurt. He made his parting shot without bothering to turn back around to face her. Unable to think of a suitable retort quickly enough, she stuck out her tongue at his retreating back. She went to close the door, but a thought occurred to her and she leaned out to shout after him. Wait! How do you know my name? But he was gone. Shay shoved his bulk against the farmer house door to force it open. He stepped inside the warm kitchen and was greeted by a pair of big brown eyes. Sorry, girl. Didn't mean to scare you. Just more wound up than I should be by that woman who's moved into Ooside Cottage. He drove a hand through his wind-knotted hair and winced when it snagged. Tail wagging, his border collie Bess bounded over to him and shoved her wet nose into his outheld palm. He gave her head a scratch, grateful, not for the first time, for her unconditional love. He'd adopted Bess from the local animal shelter not long after he'd moved to Weatherstone. One of his first customers, Jane, who also happened to volunteer at the dog's home, had practically begged him to foster a young border collie for a few weeks, just while she waited for a new forever home to present itself. 
Jane had thought Magillan's farm would be the perfect place for a nervous dog, who had been terribly mistreated, to regain her confidence and rebuild her trust in humans. Not wanting anyone or anything to shatter his isolated existence, Shay refused at first, but when Jane turned up unannounced at the farm with an undernourished, pathetic-looking Bess by her feet, there was no way he could turn the dog away. He could still remember her huge, terrified brown eyes looking up at him with a mixture of fear and hope. He'd reached out to stroke her, but she'd cowered away, her bony legs quivering despite the summer heat. Jane warned him Bess might take a while to come to him, as whatever abuse she'd been subjected to had left her scared to death, especially when men were around. Jane had been right. In the beginning, Bess didn't trust him enough to go anywhere near him, let alone be stroked. He couldn't bear to think what horrors his poor girl had been through at the hands of a fellow human to make her so fearful. As it turned out, the number of families in the market for a quivering wreck of a dog who had no desire to be petted was non-existent. When, after three months, no one wanted to give Bess a forever home, Shay offered to keep her. Jane was ecstatic to have found the dog a good home, and Shay was quietly too. Although he thought he craved total isolation, the reality of rattling around the farmhouse by himself again, after getting used to Bess's nervy but reassuring company, wasn't a prospect he was looking forward to. On the very same day he told Jane he'd keep Bess, the dog came up to him, nuzzled his leg, and allowed him to stroke her. It was as if she knew she'd finally found someone who loved her. She'd been his best buddy ever since, his only buddy these days. If only relationships with humans were as straightforward... The thought brought his mind back to Weatherstone's newest resident and his heart plummeted to the tiled kitchen floor. With her big blue eyes, fair skin and spatter of freckles, Sarah Pickering was the picture of innocence. Straight in from the city, no doubt, thinking country life's a bed of roses, he said to himself. How deceiving looks can be. He shook his head, pushing away the image of her angelic features. He sat on the floor and leaned against the arga. The heat from the metal door soaked into his back. He closed his eyes, allowing the tension between his shoulder blades to ease. Missed anything while I've been gone, Bess? He stroked her velvety ears and she yawned, then lay her head on his thigh. No, thought as much. His gaze fell on a brown parcel on the kitchen table. I forgot to take that with me to the cottage. He gently nudged Bess out of the way, stood up and went over to the table. He read the typed black text on the parcel. Miss Sarah Pickering, Ooside Cottage. I can hardly go round there again, can I, old girl? Not when I scared her half to death just now. He ran a hand over the coarse hair on his chin, realising just how in desperate need of taming it was. Vanity wasn't exactly his top priority these days. I must have looked like a wild man turning up at her door. Despite his annoyance at her irres irresponsible driving, guilt pricked at him. Through her eyes he could have come across as menacing, an unkempt stranger chastising her on her own doorstep. He looked over at Bess. Sometimes he wished she could talk back and tell him what to do. God knows she probably thought straighter than he did most of the time. His black and white confidant sank down to her haunches. No, you're right. Why am I feeling bad when it was she who was in the wrong? The dog turned her head and licked her lips. It's okay, I understand. You're more concerned about your stomach than me improving relations with my new neighbour. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten your dinner. I'll get it straight after I've been to the post office. I need to blow off the cobwebs after my first meeting with the less than charming Miss Pickering. He tucked the package under his arm and spotted a white envelope on the table he hadn't noticed before. What's this? It must have been caught up in the underside of the parcel. 
He placed the parcel back on the table, pulled out a chair and sat down. This had better not be another. He picked up the envelope and turned it over. It was official looking, just as the others had been, and had the same York City postmark. With one finger, he ripped it open and pulled out a single white sheet of paper. He scanned the words and slammed his fist down on the table, making best jump. Do you think they can offer me more money and I'll give in? I've already refused four times. He stared at the figure printed in bold on the paper. It was almost double what the farm was worth. No wonder some of the locals were faltering, and how could he blame them? He didn't need the money, but many of them did. So far, no one in the village had accepted the offers made by LJ Networks to buy their properties and enable the city-based conglomerate to build the bypass through the village where their homes and businesses lay. But now the offers were becoming more and more generous. He'd heard a few were having second thoughts. When the first letter arrived, all the locals had rallied together to oppose the plans for the new road. They were as adamant as him. No one was going to steamroller over their lives. But now the stakes were higher. A new start with an injection of cash could really help some of the villagers out. Not him. It had taken every ounce of what little strength he had left to drag himself from rock bottom and set up a new life for himself in Weatherston. He couldn't survive being forced to uproot after everything he'd been through. He had to fight, if not for himself, then for Cloder. He squeezed his eyes shut and tried to picture Cloder, but after five years the image was fading. Sometimes, as he was falling asleep, he thought he heard a voice call his name, as clear as if she were laying next to him. Other times, like today, when he tried to summon her in his memory, all he could manage was a blurred vision of her face. The vision would be mute, for he couldn't remember how her voice sounded. In his mind, her mouth mimed his name, but his ears were deaf to her words. God knows things hadn't been perfect between them. Far from it. For some reason, that made what happened even harder to bear. If he'd have been a better husband, a kinder one, who was more understanding, more romantic, more... just more, then perhaps none of it would have happened. Perhaps he'd still have his family, still be in touch with his in-laws, who'd been like parents to him when his own had died, who still live in Ireland. Perhaps he'd still have some damned self-respect. Cloder, he whispered, give me the strength to carry on fighting this, for you and Elsie. At the sound of his own voice saying her name, he snapped his eyes open. No, don't think about Elsie. He didn't have the space for any more dark thoughts today. He stood up, sending the wooden chair flying backwards. Without stopping to pick it up, he grabbed the parcel from the table and headed for the door. Sarah closed the door and looked down at the cardboard box she'd been about to empty before the arrival of our unwelcome visitor. Oh, she cried out into the empty hallway. Unpacking hadn't seemed such a daunting task before her running with a grumpy giant. Now she felt exhausted. Their heated exchange had left her void of all energy. She couldn't get the image of him, all scowling and stormy-eyed, out of her head. There was something about the way he'd looked right through her when he talked about what he'd seen that sent a shiver down her spine. She folded her arms across her chest and rubbed her upper arms. I'm probably just frozen to the core. She hadn't had a chance yet to figure out how the gas heating worked in the new cottage and the temperature couldn't be higher than three degrees inside and out. The instructions she'd been left hadn't worked. She'd been about to look up a number for a plumber when she'd been so rudely interrupted by that awful man. Oh, hello, Clive. Managed to get your bearings yet? She bent down and held out her hand. The ginger Tom trotted over, his white socked paws tapping on the wooden floor. He nuzzled his head into her arm and purred as she stroked him. 
I'm glad I've got you to love me, she said. Clive's soft fur against her skin instantly eased the throb of pain that had started to build in her temples. Hopefully we won't be seeing that horrible man again any time soon. Clive cocked his head as if he were really listening to her. She laughed. <laughs> you know, sometimes it feels like you're the only one who really gets me. He hooked a white paw over her arm. We'll have a cuddle in front of the telly later, I promise, but for now. She looked over at the cardboard box. I really need to do something useful. She freed her arm from Clive's paw, careful not to let his claws scratch her, and slid her hands into the holes on the sides of the box. She grunted as she lifted the heavy load. Come on, Clive. Why don't you keep me company while I get this done? He looked up at her and twitched his whiskers as if considering her offer, then darted off in the opposite direction. Well, at least I know where I stand. Using her knee, she heaved the box up to chest height. Although you might do well to remember who feeds you. She struggled into the living room, which apart from a single armchair, a chest of drawers and a TV, was bare. Not that it mattered, she'd only be here for a maximum of three months before her part in the new bypass was complete and she'd move on to the next project. She'd practically begged Duncan, her boss at LJ Networks, to send her on location. He'd been reluctant at first. After five years of having her based in the office, he'd grown to rely on her to help him get organised, but she'd been adamant and she could be very persuasive when something really mattered to her and this job was going to require some serious persuasive skills. The medieval buildings and narrow cobbled streets of York that she'd always loved had started to close in on her, contracting tighter and tighter until she could no longer breathe. It wasn't the city itself, she knew that. It was what happened there, what she'd let happen. All she had left to live for was her job, so she might as well throw herself into it with everything she had. Arms shaking slightly with the weight, she lowered the box to the floor. She pulled open the folds of the lid, releasing the musty smell of cardboard and peered inside. Seeing the contents, she swallowed hard and blinked rapidly. She was not going to cry. Moving to Weatherstone was meant to mark a fresh start, not just a new place to feel miserable. She'd had her fill of that recently. Inside the box, the silver clasp on the lid of the vintage cream jewellery box glinted in the light. As she fingered it, a ribbon of bittersweet memories trailed behind her eyes. Her mum's beaming smile as Sarah unwrapped the beautiful gift on the morning of her 16th birthday. The sound of the soft swish the lid made when she opened it and saw the awe in her own eyes reflected in the tiny mirror. Pieces of costume jewellery scattering across her bedroom carpet as the handle broke when she grabbed the box in haste. Her mum shouting, begging her not to leave. She sniffed and blew out a stream of air. No tears, especially today. No tears. Taking the jewellery box with both hands as she hadn't yet fixed the handle, she pulled it free from the cardboard container and put it to one side. She saw what lay beneath and caught her breath. Carefully, she pulled out the object. It was a novelty fluffy purple frame, inside which was a photograph. It stood on her dressing table for years, making her grin every time she looked at it, but this time there was no grin on her face, only a quivering chin she couldn't still. Two pairs of matching bright blue eyes shone back at her, she loved this photo. It made her realise how alike they both were. She hugged the frame tight to her chest, then released it, worrying she'd crease the picture inside. She hoped one day she could look at the photo and remember the good times, rather than focusing on how it had all ended, which is exactly what her counsellor had said she should try to do, and one of the reasons why this move to Weatherstone had come at exactly the right time. 
So that was chapter one of Little Village of Second Chances and I hope you enjoyed it and I hope it spurs you on to read the rest of the book or listen to it on Audible and please rest assured it isn't me reading it on, on Audible so it should be a much better experience. It is actually a wonderful, wonderful actress. Um, Little Village of Second Chances and all my books can be found on my website GinaHollands.com. Thank you for listening.